Whatever drug they gave me seems to be wearing off now. The dreamy days I've been strolling through is slowly replaced by the realization that I'm going to die, making each plodding footstep through the forest seem at once precious and exhausting. Our captors speak in a language I don't understand. I can't place it, but judging by the climate, the color of their skin, and the sound of the language, I'm guessing we're somewhere in Eastern Europe. The dark forest is shrouded in a blanket of mist, limiting our visibility. Strange, twisted trees loom out of the fog as we walk, our captors guiding us with flashlights. There are six of us, five men and one woman, all still dressed in our orange SCP jumpsuits. Our hands and feet are bound with shackles and connected with chains, forcing us to take small steps and limiting the movement of our arms. Our captors outnumber us two to one. A couple of them are armed with guns, but they don't wear foundation gear. They look like normal people, some old, some young, some male, some female. I glance around at the forest, seeing nothing but fog and barren trees. Even if I could get away, I have no idea where I am. I have no money, and I clearly don't speak the language. I've told myself for so long that I deserve to die. It has become a mantra. Even now, the words repeat in a seductive whisper in the back of my mind. I deserve to die. I deserve whatever is coming. I deserve it for the terrible things I did that night so long ago. But now that the time is drawing near, I want anything but to meet my maker. I'd willingly spend the rest of my life in a small cell. I'd even gladly continue participating in the outlandish experiments for the Foundation. Instead, I'm being marched into the forest towards some unknown fate. Whatever it is, I can't imagine it will be pleasant. Our captors bring us into an oval clearing. Bowed, almost C-shaped trees provide a border for the clearing, the ground of which is coated with dead leaves and twigs. Two male captors approach me, grabbing me by the arms and guiding me toward one of the trees. No, I say, shaking my head and clasping my hands in supplication. Please, no, I don't want this. Their strong featured pale faces remain stoic. One of them pushes me against the tree, while the other unfastens the chain connecting my wrist shackles to those around my ankles. He wraps the chain around the tree. After a moment, my arms are chained to the tree instead of to the shackles at my feet. Within two minutes, all six of us are fastened to trees around the clearing. I don't recognize any of the other D-class here. We glance at each other, varying levels of fear and confusion all around. The 12 people who brought us here have clearly done this before. They show no remorse, no hesitation. Yet they look like office workers and school teachers and soccer moms. They gather in the middle of the clearing, facing each other in a tight circle. And then they begin chanting. It doesn't last long. Soon enough, they're done. They disperse, heading back the way we came, through the fog. A couple of the other D-class people start talking, asking each other if anyone knows what's going on. I don't waste my breath. Instead, I look up to the top of the tree. It's not a very tall one, and the branches are thin. It presents me with a catch-22. Thin branches mean I can likely break them and maybe get my chain over the top, but they also don't look heavy enough to support my weight for the climb. Someone starts yelling across the clearing from me. I look that way and see a pale figure half obscured by the fog just beyond the yelling man. 
What the hell is that thing? The man shouts, yanking his chain against the tree as though he'll be able to break the trunk. Everyone is looking that way now, waiting to see what happens. The pale, hunched figure moves forward quickly, revealing itself in the limited moonlight that splashes the clearing. My eyes go wide as a chorus of shouts erupts from the others. The figure has all the features of a human, but it's not one. Its skin is white, looking almost like latex. It's hairless and wears no clothes, but there's no genitalia between its legs. The eyes look to be overgrown with a thin layer of translucent skin, and the ears are vaguely funnel-shaped like those of a bat. The upturned nose on its face moves as it closes in on the nearest man. I can see his number on the back of his jumpsuit, D-7456. The creature lunges at 7456, grabbing him around the throat briefly before the man scurries away, putting the tree between him and the creature. What the hell did you do to me? He screams at the creature. My neck, he did something to my neck. 7456 looks to us for help, but we can't do anything. Everyone is deathly silent eyes on the strange creature that seems to stare at 7456 with its unseeing eyes. My fucking neck! He says, his words trailing off as his eyelids grow heavy. He leans against the tree and then slips down to the base, lying down heavily with his hands still wrapped around the trunk. The creature moves again, crouching over 7456. It opens its mouth wide and, with a popping sound, dislocates its jaw to open it even wider. Something moves out of its mouth. At first, I think it's a tongue, but it looks more like an oversized black leech than a tongue. Sure enough, it snakes down and latches onto the man's neck. The undulations that follow tell me it's drinking his blood. No! The woman screams from my left. I look over and see another of the creatures approaching her from the misty woods. She tries frantically to climb her tree, making it a few feet off the ground before the creature yanks her down. I'm not going to wait around any longer. I start to climb my tree. It curves out parallel to the ground for a couple of feet and then swoops back up toward the sky. I position myself on the bowed part, grabbing the chains in my hands so I can leverage them against the opposite side of the trunk. I get up to the first branches, latching onto the tree with my thighs as I go about breaking them. The others in the group are attempting to climb their own trees. I'm about a third of the way up when the ground starts vibrating. At first, I think it's just my tree, but I quickly realize it's not as the vibrations grow to a violent rumble. I hug the tree and hang on for dear life. Even the two creatures are wary, scurrying away from their prey as the earthquake grows in intensity. To my right in the clearing, at the base of a tree, the ground bulges and splits open. The split extends along the ground to the base of my tree, which tilts, dropping several feet toward the ground. I watch, helpless, as a huge black serpent reaches out of the ground at the base of the adjacent tree. The man in the tree screams as it wraps itself around him and pulls, yanking him down along with the tree. The serpent, which I realize is really a tentacle of some kind, drags him into the hole, pulling half the tree down with him. But as his screams become muffled, the top of the tree pops back up out of the ground without the man. The rumbling fades and then disappears, along with the man's screams. The two creatures move back to their prey, those leech tongues coming out of their mouths again. A third creature emerges from the mist and approaches the man directly to my left. As I glance toward him, I see that the roots of my tree have largely come loose. I begin rocking on it, 
trying to get it to fall the rest of the way down. And after a few long moments, the stubborn roots come loose and the tree falls, knocking me off. I quickly scramble up and drag my chains along its length, yanking and pulling to break the branches in the way. A feeling of hope takes hold as I get my chains free and stand for a moment, looking around. Help me, says the last remaining man from his perch a quarter of the way up his tree. Help me, please, they're coming. He points into the forest where two more pale creatures approach. I turn without a word and run into the forest, moving away from the creatures and the last unlucky man. He curses me as I go. Thanks to the chains still around my ankles, I can't move fast, but I put some distance between myself and the clearing before stopping to catch my breath. Looking around reveals only more trees and more mist. A clicking sound comes from up ahead of me, some kind of animal, perhaps. I listen hard, hoping to hear traffic on a nearby highway or even the trickle of a stream I can follow. But all I hear is that clicking sound again, nearer this time and behind me. I sense movement from the rear and spin around. A white creature bounds toward me through the mist. Releasing a surprised shout, I move off through the woods, running as fast as I can. I glance back to see if the creature is closing in, but it's no longer there. I can't see it. When I look forward again, I see I'm headed for a dark hole in the ground, perhaps six feet wide. I try to stop, dropping to my knees to slow my progress, but it's no good. I slide over the edge, tumbling down into the black maw. I land on uneven ground, my right leg breaking as I hit, sending an electric current of sickening pain through me as I come to rest. Looking up, I see the lip of the hole some 10 feet above me. Pale moonlight shines down, allowing me to look around once I get my breathing under control. I don't dare look at the leg yet. It's all I can do to deal with the pain. It looks as though I'm at the intersection of an underground tunnel system. A passageway runs off to my right and left through the stone. I twist to look behind me and flinch as I see a white creature kneeling in the darkness just beyond the ragged circle of moonlight. I begin to scramble away, but quickly realize that the creature isn't moving. It's on its knees, ghostly hands pressed together as if in prayer. And there's something coming from the wall behind it, arcing down from a hole in the stone to the back of the creature's neck. Squinting, I can see that it looks like a smaller version of the black tentacle that burst through the ground at the clearing. A familiar clicking sound frightens me, drawing my attention to the tunnel at my left. Two of the white creatures crouch there, mere feet from me. Before I can react, they grab me and drag me down the tunnel. They jostle my leg as they pull me along, causing me to scream out in pain. It feels like we're going down, deeper and deeper into the earth. And we go for a long time. So long that the pain in my leg clouds my mind, playing tricks with my perception of time. The lower portion of my jumpsuit leg is soaked in blood by the time they let me go. I can see the telltale bulge of a compound fracture toward the middle of my shin. There's no moonlight wherever I am, deep in the earth. No light whatsoever. But my eyes have adjusted enough that I can see numerous white creatures arrayed around me in a large, intricately carved cavern. They're all in the prayer position, unmoving. I sit, gripping my leg above the knee to try to stop the bleeding, knowing that I'm going to die. I regret running from the clearing. I regret escaping. I should have just stayed put and waited for one of those white creatures to paralyze me. Whatever is coming for me now will be far worse. But there's a small mercy in my impending death. It will stop this terrible pain in my leg 
and it will stop the guilt I've been living with for so long. Ever since the night I killed a family of four in a car accident, an accident that was completely my fault, given the amount of heroin I'd injected before getting behind the wheel. The lonely country road was empty except for me taking the long way back from my dealer's house and the family on their road trip. I nodded off and drifted into their lane. The father swerved to miss me and lost control. Their car flipped several times before hitting a telephone pole. Meanwhile, I swerved and hit a barbed wire fence, popping my right front tire against the metal post. But the worst part of failing to call an ambulance right away, I was injured, but I delayed calling 911 so I could get rid of the drugs and paraphernalia in the car. If I had called right away, I could have saved the children. At least, that's what the prosecution said at the trial. So maybe this is payback. Maybe this broken leg was supposed to happen in the car crash. If it had, I wouldn't have been able to move. I would have had to call 911 immediately. I would have wanted to. The white creatures all around me dropped their hands and raised their heads at once. I expect them to move toward me, but they don't. Instead, I see black tentacles creep over their shoulders, coming out from the holes in the stone walls, slithering toward me. I watch still gripping my leg as the dozens of tentacles approach from all around. That mantra plays in my head, telling me I deserve to die. I deserve this, and I know it's right. The tentacles pause around me, swaying like snakes testing the air. Only they're not snakes. They don't have heads or eyes, but they do have mouths, little apertures that open at the end of the tentacles, and they're crowded with tiny teeth. At once, they surge forward and latch onto me, biting through my clothing and into my skin with breathtaking agony. I scream once, a long and torturous sound that brings me back to the night of the crash. The children screamed like this after the crash, when they were stuck in the mangled car, slowly bleeding out. As the tentacles consume me from the inside out, those screams ring in my ears, and they don't ever stop. SCP-2191 is an underground temple complex within the dense Hoya forest of Romania. It features tunnels running through stone, as well as Thracian and Dacian architecture believed to have been created by humans between 4800 and 3000 BC. The complex is inhabited by a population of organisms classified as SCP-2191-1, which are considered genetically human, but have undergone several significant mutations. They lack all major internal organs except for the lungs, heart, and brainstem. Their outer epidermis lacks pigmentation, and they appear androgynous, lacking secondary sex characteristics. Their regressed eyes are covered by a layer of skin, rendering them mostly blind, but still able to react to light. Further deviations from baseline Homo sapiens include flat, upturned noses and funnel-shaped ears. SCP-2191-1 do not appear to communicate via language, the only sound produced being a persistent clicking of the tongue, speculated to be a form of echolocation. During an active state, SCP-2191-1 entities will leave the underground complex and aggressively hunt for living humans. A paralytic agent is employed to disable their prey, injected via venom-delivering barbs located in the lower carpals of both hands. When prey have been successfully incapacitated, SCP-2191-1 will open its mouth and widen its throat, unhinging its jaw in the process, 
Leech-like organisms known as SCP-2191-2A will then emerge from SCP-2191-1's interior cavity, initiating the feeding process by latching to the victim's neck via a toothed, funnel-like sucking mouth. SCP-2191-2A will first inject the body with digestive enzymes, liquidizing organ, muscle, and bone alike before consuming the resultant fluids. The process can last anywhere from 20 to 50 minutes, depending on the size of its prey. These creatures are believed to work only to feed a single massive, sapient creature who controls the other organism through pheromones and physical interaction. This queen is believed to transfer nutrients by attaching tendrils to the humanoid creatures at the base of the skull. Some reports have also led researchers to believe that these tentacles can act on their own to feed on humans directly, sometimes going so far as to burst through the ground to attain a victim.